I know it's about 200 degrees. I understand. Last Mass was even, even hotter because it, it was just packed in here last Mass. Before we jump in today, we, uh, we have a building project update. Hopefully you got a letter in the mail from me this week. Uh, if you didn't get a letter in the mail from me, that means either you're not registered or that we have your wrong address. Uh, and so those are two things you can kind of remedy. So good news on our building project, we started. I hope you drove by this morning. I hope you saw the fencing's up. I don't know if that gets you excited. It gets me excited. I've been working on this for three years now. And so it's so exciting that we're finally at this moment. Uh, the demo is happening inside the church. We finished uh, all the interior asbestos work, and we're starting kind of the real construction now. So really exciting moment. Uh, in that letter, you found out that we now need to raise another $500,000. Now, that sounds like a big number, but I have good news around that. So the first thing is this. Our little parish has raised $4.9 million. So in comparison, that $500,000, that's really a small number. Our total project cost is now at five point. And so it's less than 10%. Think about that. This is less than 10% of our total cost. This is not a huge number relative to what we can do. It really isn't. Here's the other good news. We raised, we've gotten to 4.9 million with 40% of our congregation giving to it. 40%. So we're so close. How did this happen? And I know what you're thinking. Like, okay, Father Brian... How do we get another $500,000 higher? Here's what happened. Three things. The first thing is that we had some scopes, or um, I'm sorry, engineering challenges. We have a 60-year-old building, and as you go through the process, you discover things, and usually when you discover things, it's not a good thing. So our structural engineers came back, and they said, we actually don't know how your roof is still standing. I was like, providence, right? God loves us. But they said, you know, we have to reinforce some things in the roof, and there's been similar things like that. The second thing has been a few scope changes. Those have been very minor. The biggest one that we changed was we were going to refinish our old pews, but if we did that, we'd have to buy new pews anyways in probably 15 to 20 years. If we bought new pews, we went from paying 40000 to about 100000 and we won't have to buy new pews for a long, long time. And it just made sense. And it is a beautiful new church to have new pews too. Finally, the biggest one of all three is just the Denver market. We're in the hottest market in Denver probably in its history and construction. And everything just comes back more expensive. So that's how we got that extra 500000 Now, a good question you might have is, Father Brian, will this happen again? Almost certainly not, and here's why. We signed our contract with our contractor. So I've never done this before, but what happens is I thought we would have signed our contract six months ago. But the way it works is you work with your contractor and you get closer and closer and closer, and subcontractors look at everything and they say, oh yeah, that number's right, that number's right, that one's a little off, and you come closer and closer, and then Right before you begin, you have what's called a GMP, a guaranteed maximum price, right? Not minimum, 
Is that good news? <laughs> Maximum. <laughs> so we have a signed contract with a guaranteed maximum price, which means unless there's like an act of God, we won't go above that. It's guaranteed. So that's really good news. There's other things, but I don't want to go too long. If you have questions, call me, you know, email me. But I want you to do really quick, look at that card. I know you don't want to. Look at it anyways. Just grab it for me really quick. And I know some of you think, you know, Father Brian, I have mortgaged my house for you. I've sold my firstborn child. You know, do I really have to do this? Yes. So just take a look at it really quick. If you, first encouragement is if you're new to the parish or if you have not yet given, right? 40% of our parishioners have given almost $5 million. Would you please, if you're someone who hasn't given to this yet, sometimes we think, Father Brian, I can only give a little bit and that's not going to make that much of a difference. Yes, it will. If you can only give $10 a month, please give $10 a month. If you can't do it for three years, that's okay. Could you do it for two years? Could you do it for one year? Be a part of this. Help us just cross this last finish line. The other cool thing is all you millennials out there, we finally have a text to give. At the top of that card, you'll see there's a 720 phone number. And if you just text that number, right, it'll, you text the dollar sign and the amount you want to give, it'll text you right back. It'll say, is this a one-time gift? Is this a monthly gift? When do you want it to start? When do you want it to end? It's really, really easy. Right, think about how much you spend on Starbucks a month. I spend more than I'm going to admit in front of the congregation. Right? Could you sacrifice $10 a month? Could you do $27 a month? That will get us across the finish line. So thank you for being generous. I really appreciate it. We're going to get there. I'm, I have no doubt whatsoever that we'll cross this line. Someone at the last mass said, just tell everyone that unless they contribute, there will be no air conditioning in the new church. They're like, you were in it like that. You can turn those in at the offertory. If you want to fill one out today, you can put it in the basket. If you want to take that home and pray about it, you can mail it back in. You can call us. You can go online. But please, one last story. When I was in seminary, one day the rector walked out, and there was a fork on a table in the dining room. And he just said, you know what? I'm not going to pick up that fork. And he's like, I just want to see if someone else will pick it up. And that fork stayed on that table for six months with 120 seminarians who go in there three times a day. I was one of them. And the reason is because when you're in a big group, what happens sometimes is we all do this. I do it too. We all think someone else will take care of that. Someone else will pick up that fork. Please don't do that. Please be a part of this. Even if you can only do it in a small way, please be a part of this. Okay, good. This means yes means no, or you can just stare at me. Okay, so one of my favorite movies, I, I hope it's one of yours, I don't know, it's kind of violent, is Braveheart. It's actually really violent, <laughs> but I love Braveheart. If you haven't seen Braveheart, it's just a great movie. So, but one of the best scenes in Braveheart, you have the Scots, Mel Gibson is the head of the Scottish army, and he's lined up and they have to fight the British. And Mel Gibson's army is this ragtag group. 
right? They're outnumbered. They don't have armor. They don't have cavalry. They don't have arrows. They're supremely outmatched. And then you look to the other side of this battlefield, and the British are super impressive, right? They have perfect armor. It's this massive army. Uh, they have archers. They have cavalry. They have the best military training in the world. The Christian life is something like this, right? If you're going to be a Christian, there's going to be big battles in your life that you're going to face that Jesus is going to call you into. I wish it were easier, but it's not. There's going to be a battle. And in Braveheart, what Mel Gibson's character, William Wallace, what he knows is that the greatest threat to his army isn't actually the archers. It's not the cavalry. It's not the massive size of the British army. The greatest threat to his army is the fear inside his own men. Right? If you have fear, if, you're, if you go into something in a timid manner, you're almost certain to fail. And so Mel Gibson gives that awesome speech, right? A lot of you guys, you don't know scripture, but you know that speech, right? <laughs> and he gives that line, that awesome line where he talks about how every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And, you, and I don't know, I'm sure you ladies too, you watch that movie and you're like, yeah, like, let's go get the British. And I'm Irish, and we don't like British people, so I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, let's go fight him right now. You're going to get your butt kicked by a priest. And you get all riled up. And Mel Gibson, right, and in that movie, you know that's the greatest threat. And here's my point today, brothers and sisters. In the Christian life, you're going to face obstacles, right? You're going to have people who don't like the fact that you're a Catholic. You're going to have things outside of you that are difficult. It's going to be hard to live Jesus' commandments. I think we're living in a time where our government and our nation is going to oppose our faith more and more. But that's not the greatest threat we have. None of those things are our greatest threat. The greatest threat to your Christian life is not external. It's inside of you. The early Christians got this. I want to give you just a really cool analogy that the ancient Christians used all the time. So you know in the, in the Bible, right, that the Jews left Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And it's that dramatic story of the Exodus. But they get there, and it's not just kind of like the Holy Land isn't sitting there going, okay, here's the welcome mat. There's a bunch of deadly, evil nations dwelling inside the promised land. Do you guys know how many? I heard it. Seven. Thank you. I know. I, I don't know why I asked. During, we got to get used to this. Q&A during homilies. Seven nations. The early Christians saw that, and they said, you know what? What this is ultimately about is this is a prefigurement of the Christian soul. Right, the Holy Land is your soul. The Holy Land is the place that God wants to dwell. But inside of your soul and mine are the seven deadly sins. 
And the seven nations in Canaan prefigure the seven deadly sins that dwell inside of us. And it gets even better. So the, the one who's called to drive those out is the next leader of Israel after Moses. His name is Joshua, which in Hebrew is the same name as Jesus. It's the same name. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is that God wants to live inside of you. He wants to dwell in your soul. And the one who comes to conquer the seven deadly sins inside of you is Jesus Christ. And today I just want to talk about one of those deadly sins. And the reason is because in our, in our gospel, in our first reading, and in our psalm today, it's all about this. All of our readings are about the good shepherd. Right, Psalm 23 was our psalm today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In verdant pastures he gives me repose. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. In our gospel today, Jesus comes across the water and he sees this big crowd and he says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. In our first reading from Jeremiah, God promises that there will be a shepherd who will lead us to rest and peace. So the sin I want to talk about, that sin inside all of our souls, it's one we don't talk about much, but I promise you, you've experienced it in your life. And it's something called achadia. I know what you're thinking, Greek, right? No, it's Latin. Gotcha. It's actually originally Greek, but whatever. Achadia is usually translated as sloth. But we have to break that out a little bit. It doesn't just mean, achadia does not mean I'm just kind of lazy and I don't want to do my work. That's not what it means. There's a, there's a laziness or a lack of rest is a good translation towards physical things, right? We all have times in life where we're just burned out. What a shady is about, it's, an, it's a spiritual, internal disagreement with yourself, and I'll explain this. Have you ever gone, it's a lack of rest, and that's what I'm going to get at. Jesus today is going to promise us rest, right? And I love that line in Psalm 23. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Achadia is opposed to rest in your soul. So think about this. Have you ever gone on vacation or had a day off, but you just were restless and you just didn't feel right and you came back to work and you were more tired than when you left? We've all had that, haven't we? Or you've been, on, you've been up in the mountains, you go to Estes Park and you don't have any work to do and you're away from things, but there's something just not right inside of you. That's a chadia. You see, you and I are called to have a physical rest, 
but much, much more so what real rest is and the rest that Christ promises us is a spiritual rest. It's where everything's right inside of you. There's a tranquility and a peace to your soul that brings quiet and joy. If you have that, by the way, if you have spiritual rest in your soul, you can be working and you can be totally at rest. Everything's right with the world. There's a harmony inside of you. And that's the kind of rest God wants to give us. Right? When God promises us rest, of course he cares about your physical rest. But he cares more about your soul. So at Shadia, this is what it's all about. Brothers and sisters, at Shadia, what happens when God created you, he created you to become a saint. Right, that's inscribed inside of you. It is written into your very soul. It's the reason you were created. And what a chadia is, is when we say, is when I look at God or I look at myself and I say, I don't choose that. The very thing that I was made to be, I'm wrestling against it. A chadia is a refusal to embrace what God has created you for. So if you have this, brothers and sisters, when you have a chadia in your soul, you're at war with yourself. Right? You're, you're battling against the very thing that's written inside of you. And you'll never find internal peace. Now Thomas Aquinas, I know you guys all love Aquinas, for all you Aquinas nerds out there, he talks about this in the Secunde Secunde, question 35. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. Aquinas says that achadia is what's called a capital sin. And what that means is that it gives birth, it's a root that gives birth to other sins. So achadia creates different things in us. It creates malice, spite faint-heartedness. And then there's three I just want to kind of focus in on this morning. Despair. And what's despair? Despair, it's God's created me a certain way and for a certain truth, and I'm never going to be that. And I don't want to be that, so I despair that my life can actually find joy and redemption. That's a lie. If you have that in your soul right now, brothers and sisters, think about that. You were created to be a saint and to have heaven. And so oftentimes we say that's for somebody else. Holiness is for those altar boys. You guys holy? <laughs> just like you guys do. You just stare at me. <laughs> that's you. Holiness is not just for priests and religious. If you've bought that lie today, you've got to reject it. You have to come to peace with the fact that God made you to be a saint. So despair. Another one is sluggishness towards the commandments. I know that I'm supposed to 
go to Mass every Sunday. I know I'm supposed to love God above all things. I know I'm supposed to love my enemies. But I just don't feel like it. Until you get rid of that sluggishness in your soul, you'll never have peace. You'll never have rest. And then finally, Aquinas says that when we have Achadia, our minds start to wander after evil things. When you're rested, isn't it the best feeling on earth? You wake up, and you have this physical rest, and you wake up, and you say, wow, I only slept eight hours, and I felt like it was 12. And you feel renewed and refreshed, and that's such a good thing. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, you can have that in your soul. Where the, the Christian life, Jesus, is not just an obligation Lord, where I'm not fighting against myself to be who you have called me to be. But Jesus, where I have a peace and a tranquility in my soul, where I rejoice that you have made me for holiness. I want to leave you with today with two practical things you can do. The first thing is that physical rest can lead to spiritual rest. Sunday is the day that belongs to God. Right, today, when you go home after Mass, don't treat today like any other day. Today is not a day for consumerism. Today is not a day for going online all day. Today is not a day for work. Today is a day that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's a day when I remember that I was not made for work. I was made for God. And when I don't do any work on Sundays, which I don't, I find a peace. I remember I was made for something more. And there's joy there. The second thing is this. So observe Sabbath. Observe Sunday. Rest today. Give today to God. And the second thing, brothers and sisters, you have to accept what you were made for. You were not created for anything short of union with God. And if you're fighting that, you're fighting with your very soul. You'll never have peace. So Jesus today... Jesus, you are the new Joshua. You are the conqueror of the holy land that is my soul. And Jesus, I have every one of those seven nations. I have every deadly sin in my soul. Jesus, in your power, in your glory, in your authority, Jesus, will you cast those sins out of my soul?